Hey guys, and welcome to the Moms of Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing awesome. How are you? I'm doing really good. This is two weeks in a row that I said I'm awesome, so I guess I'm really doing awesome. (laughs) That's awesome. You know what I want to get myself? This is not you, but I was thinking about this tonight. I'm going to get myself a word a day calendar because I feel like I know a few words, but then what was the word I was thinking of today? Um, Penultimate? Is that how you even say that word? I don't have enough confidence (laughs) to say penultimate in something, and I might not even be saying it right. So I'm 2021 is going to be the year I learn a word a day or just a word a week. I need a word a month calendar. Maybe I can get there a word a month calendar. Yeah. Maybe dogs can poop on that calendar. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Honestly, you could have just like very passive aggressively given me a word a day calendar. <laughs> no, you're good at it. It's definitely not you. Like I literally, I'm always like, I, I'll look at the ads, you know, that I'm writing and stuff. And I see how many times I use the word love or something. And I'm like, oh, there's got to be another word. Like Melissa, you you talk like a two-year-old, but <laughs> at last, I don't have a word a month calendar. So next year, that's going to be the year of language skills for me <laughs> at 37. After all this time, yeah. <laughs> Why start now, really? Forget yeah, it. Seriously. All right. So we're going to get right into the episode. This is actually our last episode of 2020, which is surprising. I don't know. I feel like it came up kind of fast. I'm really excited. We're about to move into the holiday, like actually officially holiday time. And as we said last week, it was crunch time. And now it's like, I don't even know what happens after crunch time, but we're in that time right now. So yeah, we're there. Yeah, yeah. It's been such a good year, though. And we've had some really great episodes this year. And I am super excited about next year. But yes, this is our last episode of 2020. And I I mean, how do you feel about that, Melissa? (laughs) I mean, you know, what is there to feel? I, uh, it's been a year. It has been a year. I think with the show, things have been great, but it's in general, it's been a year. So I'm okay going to 2021. Please don't mark these words down, people that listen to us in 2023 and say, if only they knew what 2021 (laughs) would have in store. I'm believing it's going to be a really, really good year. So I'm just going to go with that. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I'm going to be positive. That doesn't sound like me. That should scare everyone. (laughs) That's (laughs) more worrisome. So because this is the last episode of 2020, rather, we actually have, you know, we like to make announcements and we like to do different things on um, the show. And some of you may have noticed that there has been something missing from the show the last few episodes, and that is our beloved Google This City segment. Beloved. So, <laughs> beloved. So I'm not exactly sure how long we have been doing Google This City. I don't remember. Did we start that before 2020 or was that just in 2020? I think so. I think it's been about a year and a half. It's been it's it's been a run. It's been a run. Personally, I have loved Google This City. But Melissa, I know that you have some words regarding Google This City <laughs> and what has been going on. Where has Google This City been and where is Google This City going? <laughs> I have prepared a statement. To whom it may concern, dear listeners, effective immediately, Google This City is donezo. In an effort to make all the bad things of 2020 go away, we'll be throwing Google This City into a proverbial fire, which many believed it has belonged in for several months. (laughs) (laughs) Inspired by the 2015 Pixar hit Inside Out, Google This City has decided to bing bong itself in hopes that 2021 will be a better year for us all. But worry not. (laughs) 
<laughs> but worry not. Google the City's terrible jokes will live on in whatever new segment we land on in 2021 that will likely be even more awful. R.I.P. GTC. <laughs> on Never Forgotten. <laughs> R.I.P. indeed. It has been a fun, fun ride with Google the City, and I have really enjoyed it. Melissa, you did such a great job with them, and I just love them. And I uh, have some really great memories from Google the City, so <laughs> I will be, um, I'll be sad to see Google the City go, but... I'm also excited. We've got other ideas. We have other ideas. And I will say a lot of these things take place in the same five cities. And at some point, you're like, I can't make another joke about New York City. I really don't have any more. Or it's like you do a city and they're like, somebody writes you and says, that's not even the closest town. And you're, or like, that didn't actually happen there. And I'm like, well, I only Googled it once. I didn't, you know, Google and verify every source city. I just kind of Googled it. So I hope this new change will bring a lot of happiness to those people who skip this segment anyway. <laughs> and for everyone that who actually enjoyed it, I really love you. You're really good people. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So anyway, we're going to do something new for 2021 and it will be a lot of fun. And um, goodbye, Google the city. Bing bong all the way. (laughs) All right. So we will get right into the episode for this week. Domestic violence is a very serious problem that often does not get the attention that it desperately needs. In the U.S., about 20 people are physically abused per minute by an intimate partner, which really is a statistic that I found quite shocking. Women are largely the targets of domestic violence, with one in four experiencing it in some form. However, it is still relatively common for men to be abused at a rate of about one in 19. Domestic violence is so rampant that it actually accounts for 15% of all violent crime, and in another shocking statistic, 72% of all murder-suicides involve an intimate partner, with 94% of these victims being women. Typically, when people think of domestic abuse situations, the picture that comes to mind doesn't involve young college athletes who have their whole lives ahead of them. But today's story is about the tumultuous relationship between a bright and bubbly lacrosse player and another multi-sport athlete at the University of Virginia. College is a fun and exciting time for most young adults. For many, it represents their first foray into the real world, away from their parents, and the first time they really get to truly experience all the joys of adulthood. For Yardley Love, it was also a chance to honor her father by obtaining the degree that he never earned for himself. Yardley was born on July 17, 1987, in Baltimore, Maryland, to parents John and Sharon. She was raised with a sister named Lexi in an affluent suburb in Baltimore. This was an extremely close-knit and loving family who spent a lot of time together. Yardley was a positive kid with a silly personality and a happy-go-lucky spirit. When she was five, her dad taught her how to play lacrosse, which is something that was really a family affair. Yardley's uncle also loved lacrosse and actually played on the varsity team at the University of Virginia. Lacrosse became something that Yardley and her dad did together for fun and to spend quality time together. Yardley fell in love with the sport, and she had a natural talent for it. By the time she was in high school, she was the star player on the team. She attended Notre Dame Prep, which was a private school in Maryland, where she played field hockey and really impressed her coaches. They said that she was, quote, an outstanding athlete and the core of our team, our laughter, end quote. But her athletic abilities weren't the only noteworthy thing about Yardley. She had blossomed into a wonderful young woman who quietly put in the work to achieve her goals. She was an amazing friend who put others first and did her best to make those around her feel really good and empowered. But when Yardley was 15, her world came crashing down when her father passed away after a battle with cancer. 
While this was a devastating loss for Yardley and her family, she remained focused and dedicated to the goals that she had already set for herself, and she made it her mission to play lacrosse for the University of Virginia and to graduate with a degree. In her senior year, she got her wish. She was recruited by the University of Virginia to play lacrosse. Yardley was absolutely ecstatic over this accomplishment, and she said, quote, that definitely topped the happiest and proudest moment that I will probably ever experience, end quote. While she attended UVA, she studied government and became a member of the Kappa Alpha Theta sorority. She excelled at lacrosse and was described by her teammates as a speedy and clever defender whose exuberance made her the heart of the team. She was always volunteering for extra practice drills and would play one-on-one defense against an attacker. The team performed well in their 2010 season and finished with a 13-5 record, making them the sixth in the nation and eligible to attend the NCAA tournament. The previous summer, Yardley got an internship at an NYC public relations and marketing firm. The internship actually went so well that she was offered a job after she graduated. On the surface, it seemed as though Yardley really had everything she wanted and that her dreams were really coming true right before her eyes. But behind the scenes, there was another side to Yardley that not everyone was aware of. During her freshman year at UVA, Yardley had met a guy who was another freshman, and the two started dating. But this isn't the typical, they had some amazing connection and they were so in love story. This relationship was really full of red flags and riddled with problems right from the start. The couple began dating on and off, but whether they were on or they were off, there was always some kind of terrifying discord between them. When other people were around, George was always charming and polite and appeared to really admire Yardley, but since the very beginning of their relationship, George displayed obsessive and abusive behavior towards her and other young women at the university. Once, when George and Yardley were on a break, George once asked another student for her phone number, and because George was good-looking and charming, the woman gave it to him. But then George started texting her excessively, sometimes 20 times in one hour, and he would ask her to come to his apartment at all hours of the night, all before they even had a chance to even hang out or go on a first date. This behavior was only just a taste of what Yardley dealt with as George's girlfriend. George felt entitled to Yardley's attention, and according to friends, he would regularly send texts and emails threatening her with violence or act in violence towards her when he didn't get his way. In one scary instance, at a party to celebrate the victories of both the men's and women's lacrosse teams, George actually jumped on Yardley and started choking her, and some players from the visiting team actually stepped in and pulled him off of her. Oh my gosh. Yeah. After this attack, George wrote Yardley a letter where he apologized for what he had done. The letter read, quote, Yardley, I cannot describe how sorry I am for what happened this past weekend. I am horrified with the way I behaved and treated you. I'm scared to know I can get that drunk to the point where I cannot control the way I behave or act. I'm horrified to think that I was using physical force to keep you in my room. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry again and hope to talk to you when you feel you can. I can assure you, though, that I will never act as I did that Saturday night. I'm sorry again. Love, George. End quote. But George's violent outbursts actually did continue. The common link between these abusive attacks always seemed to be alcohol. In fact, George was known around campus and among his teammates as a heavy drinker, and his drinking went beyond what was typical even for a young college student. The amount that George was drinking was so concerning to his friends that they actually considered staging an intervention to help him get his life back on track. When George wasn't drunk, he was a great guy. When he started drinking, he became an actual monster. 
George was born George Wesley Hughley V on September 17, 1987 in Washington, D.C. to parents Marta and George IV. He was raised in a very prominent Washington, D.C. family with his sister Taryn. The family had long since made a name for themselves in the area. Way back in 1912, George's great-great-grandfather co-founded a lumber yard in northwest Washington, and the Hughley family also invested in racehorses and an apartment complex with 1,000 units. They were socialites, and many family members had a lifetime membership at Columbia Country Club in Chevy Chase, as well as different local yacht clubs. George V should have had his way paved for him, but his father, George IV, did not follow in the same footsteps as the men in the family before him. He was never known as a successful businessman like his father and grandfather, and he was actually also known for being a partier who really just did not follow in the family footsteps. In early 1996, George IV and Marta, who was once a part-time model at Saks Fifth Avenue, split up. Marta had been a stay-at-home mom since George V and Taryn were born, and the separation was really rough on all of them. George's father moved out of the family home and would come see the kids briefly in the evenings or when he had vacation time, but he was always threatening Marta and saying that he was going to, you know, move back into the home and pretty much just do whatever he wanted, not, you Mm -hmm. know, against her wishes. Right. On Christmas Day later that year, he actually did force himself inside the house and started acting like, you know, he was living there again. So Marta took George V and Taryn and moved in with her sister. A little over a week later, Marta officially filed for divorce from George IV and moved back into the family home with the kids. George IV moved out again, but a court agreement required him to talk to Marta on the phone every Tuesday at 9 p.m., and they were ordered to take these co-parenting skills enhancement classes. During court proceedings, George IV claimed that he was poor and that he lived off of his family's wealth. He said that the lifestyle that he and Marta were living was unrealistic and that they couldn't afford their $600,000 home, boat, and luxury cars, or the expensive tuition for George V and Taryn to attend this prestigious Catholic school. But Marta said that wasn't true. She said her husband earned over $100,000 per year and that he had plenty of money to support them. Regardless, one thing was for sure, and that was that George IV was really pretty terrible with money. Anytime George IV got into a sticky financial situation, his father, George III, would bail him out. At one point, George III allegedly gave George IV $1.5 million after George IV liquidated $450,000 in trust fund money from his grandfather. Yikes. Marta and George IV squabbled in court over these finances. She felt that he was really stiffing her and their kids while he continued to, you know, live freely with his luxury items, country club memberships, and lavish vacations. At one point, George IV told Marta that he would keep acting like he was poor until he got rid of her. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, and the thing that's really upsetting in these kind of things is like, "Mm, you're doing this to your kid too. So like you can stick it to your ex-wife all you want, but if it's, you're going to lie to the courts and live this lifestyle and then be like, well, too bad for the kids that I just don't get it. And there was a lot of money. It wasn't, you know, (laughs) the money was was not going to be poor. Yeah, he wasn't going to be poor at the end of this, even though he's pretending. So as part of his, you know, I'm so poor charade, George IV didn't give Marta any child support to raise their kids. And after a year, he owed her over $11,000, which actually doesn't seem like that much when you're talking about two kids, plus 
all the money that he his family has. That, right. It's kind of shocking it's so low in, in that case. So when a judge ordered him to pay $1,000 immediately or go to jail for 10 days, guess what? He had the money. He paid up. But he continued to lie about his financial situation and how much money he had. Eventually, Marta's attorneys made a motion to have the funds garnished from George IV's bank account, and at that point, George IV finally agreed to settle with Marta and give her the divorce. Marta and the kids stayed in their home for 14 months, and George IV was supposed to pay her $100,000, but it ended up taking him several years to finally pay her. Marta later went on to remarry, but George IV stayed a bachelor. All of this is to say that George V definitely didn't have an idyllic childhood with his parents' constant quarrels over finances. I can imagine all that court time, all of that, like that's going to affect your childhood for sure. The money was there, but his father made it really impossible and stressful to access. Despite the somewhat stressful life, George V was described as always happy, funny, helpful, caring, sensitive, and loving. And he was honest, trustworthy, and loyal. He tried to shield his sister Taryn from his parents' divorce drama, and according to her, he looked out for her every single day. She described her brother as being a smart, spiritual, generous, and loving older sibling. And it really wasn't just Taryn who felt that way about George. Many members of the family said that he always put you know, his family first and he showed them love and respect. George was no trouble at school, and his teachers and coaches and peers all got along well with him. He maintained a spot on the honor roll for three out of four years that he was at Landon School, and he was often even chosen as the team captain of his sports teams because of the dedication and maturity that he displayed. While he was attending a private high school in Bethesda, Maryland, he was the starting quarterback on the football team in his senior year. He was also involved in other sports, basketball and lacrosse. In 2004, he was chosen as the Athlete of the Week by an ABC News affiliate, and in an interview, he talked about the importance of winning as a team. So you're probably thinking, what is going on here? He sounds like a pretty, you know, good kid. And according to those who knew him growing up, George was a pretty great guy. But sadly, he had this dark side to him. And as we mentioned before, that dark side typically reared its ugly head when George drank alcohol, which was something that he first began experimenting with in high school. He actually became kind of known for being the guy who drank a lot and, you know, really made a ruckus about it. But even without alcohol, George did still have some cocky and big-headed moments. For example, when George was a freshman, he was thrust into a game, you know, by his coach. And he told the coach that he would make, you know, this big game-changing play in exchange for a kiss from the coach's fiance, which is like, okay, like, (laughs) I mean, I guess I can see like a high school kid just like making a joke about that, but it still isn't appropriate. And, you know, as like the coach, like you, you would definitely be like, um... No, like we're yeah. not gonna we're not gonna make those kind of jokes, you know. Like, haha, you know, very funny. But like, please don't, you know, yeah. say <laughs> maybe don't do that. <laughs> yeah. But then after he was playing in that game and he intercepted a pass, George actually did walk off the field and ask for the coach's fiance's phone number, which again, not appropriate um, no. kind of behavior. In another instance, George stole his lacrosse coach's car keys from his office and actually then drove his car onto the lacrosse field and just started talking, you know, to the coach from the driver's side of his car. Mm-hmm. So these are some kind of and some of this does sound just like silliness, but like it still isn't it doesn't mean it's like it's appropriate. You know what I'm saying? But these are the kind of things that he 
was doing, just thinking that he was being a goofy or being funny, but it was not always yeah, not always funny. Like varsity <laughs> blues. This doesn't even seem like real life. <laughs> and we are going to get back into many more details of this case after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. Whether you're training for your next big race or just trying to get the knot out of your neck from sharing a bed with a giant seven-year-old, true story, look no further for muscle pain and tension release than Theragun. Theragun is the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension by using a scientifically calibrated combination of depth, speed, and power. And now it's even as quiet as an electric toothbrush. When I finish an especially hard workout, I love how strong I feel, but that is quickly met with muscle pain. I love that I can quickly grab my Theragun and place it on the muscles that I've overworked and begin to feel relief right away. Or if you've just reached that age where simply waking up in the morning is painful, Theragun has you covered there too. When I have one of those mornings, I simply place the all new Gen 4 Theragun with its proprietary brushless motor on my shoulders and my neck and allow Theragun to soothe my aching muscles with their signature power, amplitude, and effectiveness. Plus, now it's so quiet, I almost wonder if it's on. But thanks to the relief I feel, I know it is. Try Theragun for 30 days. There is no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4 with an OLED screen, personalized Theragun app, and the quiet and power you need starting at only $199. Go to theragun.com mm right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com mm. Theragun.com mm. I don't know about you, but I need a little bit of wind down time at the end of the night. My kids have fried my brain and I'm not quite ready to go to sleep, but I'm also not looking to run a marathon. I like listening to podcasts at night and the perfect accompaniment to listening to a podcast is playing Best Fiends. Best Fiends is a puzzle game that gets more challenging and fun over time. There's different levels that carry skills you've learned and obstacles you've faced with you as you go along. Best Fiends updates the game monthly with new levels and events, so even after 1,080 levels, I still look forward to playing it. And while Best Fiends is an individual game, it's always fun to flex and show off to your kid. Sure, she doesn't have smile lines, but she also hasn't beaten over a thousand levels on Best Fiends either. So who's the real winner here? I love that it only takes a few minutes to play a level of Best Fiends so I can sneak a game in while I'm waiting for my coffee to brew or while I'm waiting for my dog to do her thing outside. Sometimes when I need a break from writing the next episode, I just pick up my phone and play a few rounds and strategize how to complete the next ones. It's a great way to just clear my brain on days when I feel like I'm in a writing rut. With Best Fiends, there are over 5,000 challenges, so you'll always find a new and exciting challenge to take. And don't just take our word for it. Best Fiends has over 100 million downloads and is the five-star rated mobile puzzle game that's a must-play in my house. Download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. And now back to the episode. So before the break, we were talking a little about George and his time on the lacrosse team and just the kind of guy he was that friends and, you know, family were describing him as. And so after high school, George was accepted into UVA where he was majoring in anthropology and also played on the men's lacrosse team. His reputation at this point for being a heavy drinker and partier followed him on to college and even his friends started to think that it was becoming a real problem. But when it came to his sports, George excelled. He showed what they said was strong leadership abilities on the lacrosse field, and he always put his team and their goals first and tried to be really a friend to his teammates. 
He was known to take them on fishing trips to his family beach house and on his family yacht. By this time, he was standing at six foot two and weighed around 209 pounds. He was fierce on the field and a very good player, but of course, at the university, there were a lot of good players on the team, so he wasn't quite the star that he had been in high school. Most of the other lacrosse players had their act together. One local bartender said that when he saw George and his teammates come into his bar, you'd see them all walk in and think, quote, oh, there goes a bunch of lacrosse players and some other guy, end quote. All throughout college, George had several different alcohol-related troubles. In 2007, he was vacationing at his family's $2 million home in Florida when he was caught in possession of alcohol while underage. In 2008, officers found him stumbling drunk into traffic near a fraternity house. One officer told him to find a ride home or she was going to take him to jail. In response to this, George became belligerent and started yelling racial and sexual obscenities at her. A struggle ensued for several minutes that ended with the officer tasing George. That officer later said that George was, quote, by far the most rude, most hateful, and most combative college kid I ever dealt with, end quote. He ended up pleading guilty to resisting arrest and public intoxication, and he was fined $100 and put on six months probation. A judge ordered him to go to a substance abuse course and to disclose his arrest to the University of Virginia, but he did not do that although he did end up going around bragging about this incident to his friends, which is, why would you brag about something like this? This is terrible. So later that same year, George was visiting his dad over the winter break, and they took the family yacht out for a spin, as one does. For whatever reason, George and his father started arguing, and George jumped off the boat and refused to get back on. So George V called authorities and reported a domestic incident. Another boater ended up passing by and actually picked George IV up out of the water. By 2010, George's bad habits had caught up to him, and he had begun to put on a little bit of weight and really lost his spark on the field. And in the spring of that year, his love life with Yardley was also not going well. As we said, the two had dated on and off, but at this time, they were mostly off. In his desperation to get her back, again... George continued to harass Yardley with apologies, calls, and emails begging her to talk to him. But Yardley had really had enough. It was just a few months earlier that George attacked her in his bedroom by wrapping his arms around her neck and choking her. She was able to break free and ran back to her apartment, but multiple people saw her running and holding her throat, and when she got back into her apartment, her roommate Caitlin saw her crying, and she was visibly shaken over what had just happened. It was a very scary situation for Yardley, but she didn't report it to anyone. On April 27, 2010, Yardley was unable to avoid George and his wrath. He was upset because she hadn't responded to his desperate pleas for her to talk to him, and the two got into this heated argument. In this instance, it was Yardley who ended up losing her cool. She allegedly chastised George and hit him several times with her purse. He did not retaliate in anger, but instead sat there while she hit him and, you know, he just told her to leave. After she left, they continued to fight and exchange these hostile emails back and forth to each other. On April 30th, George wrote an email that said, quote, That is so messed up on so many levels. I should have killed you. I'm still in utter disbelief at everything that has happened recently and how you handle this, end quote. And Yardley fired back, quote, you should have killed me. You're so messed up. So the more I think about it, I could care less that I attacked you. You deserved it. And we got a good laugh about it the next morning, end quote. 
The next couple of days were filled with the same type of back and forth, and as George typically did, he turned to alcohol to cope with his emotions. On May 2nd, George began drinking at 9.30 in the morning, despite having an event to attend in the afternoon. The lacrosse team held an annual golf tournament and reception, and George was there, but his friends noticed that he was clearly drunk by the time the reception started. After the reception was over, George and two of his teammates went out to dinner with George's father, George IV, but the dinner was short-lived thanks to George's absolutely ridiculous and drunken behavior. It got to a point where the teammates that were eating with him just wanted to leave, and uh, they pretty much said they just didn't want to be in public with him anymore. And then when they were on their way out of this restaurant that night, George just walked, you know, they walked outside and George just went to the bathroom outside this restaurant. So this is the kind of behavior that he was doing. I can see why your friends would be like, I don't really, especially if you're on the lacrosse team and you have like a a good reputation, you don't want to be like with this guy who's stumbling around and like, you know, urinating outside of restaurants and stuff. Like it's just not a good look really. Yeah, yeah. It was after 10.30 p.m. when George's teammates finally got him back to his apartment. George was, of course, very drunk by this time. He had been drinking really for about 12 hours at that point, and he should have just gone to bed, but he did not. At around 11.40 that night, George's roommate Kevin and one of his other teammates, Kenneth, left the apartment for about 15 to 20 minutes. But when they returned, George was nowhere to be found. And this, of course, is after they've just gotten him home from this day, right. you know, long day where he's been out and he really just needs to be home. You know, they get him home and then they leave for a few minutes, come back, and George is gone. So I, you can just imagine, you know, these guys are probably like, where is he at now? Like, what is he doing? Right. So he wasn't really gone that long. And George showed back up at the apartment apartment at around 12:15 a.m. Although he'd been drinking all day and as we said was clearly intoxicated, his friends still noticed that something about his demeanor had changed in the short time that, you know, he had been gone and come back. They said that George had this blank stare on his face and, you know, when they asked him where he just came from, he said that he went to another teammate's apartment and had a drink. But something didn't add up to Kevin and Kenneth because they knew that the teammate George claimed to have gone to have this drink with was studying that night. So they didn't believe that he was, you know, having right. having drinks or that he had George over at all. So Kenneth tried asking George, you know, what was going on, what was wrong with him. And George just sat there and refused to say anything. But then at around 2 a.m., which is now May 3rd, a devastating 911 call came in. 22-year-old Yardley had been found dead in her bed by her roommate Caitlin and her friend Felipe. Earlier that night, Yardley and Caitlin had gone out to a bar on campus with other UVA lacrosse players, just as they did every Sunday, and they called it Sunday Fun Day. Around 10 p.m., they left the bar and went back to their apartment, and Caitlin said she wanted to go out to another place, but Yardley said she was tired and said she was just going to take a shower and then head to bed. Caitlin left the apartment and returned with her friend a few hours later, around 2 a.m. When they got back, Caitlin went to Yardley's room to check on her, and what she found was absolutely heartbreaking. Yardley was lying face down in her bed, and Caitlin noticed that her hair was what she said was all messed up. So she walked over to Yardley and moved her hair to the side, but Yardley didn't react at all. That's when Caitlin noticed there was blood on the sheets and pillowcase and that one of Yardley's eyes was severely injured and she had cuts on her face. Caitlin and Felipe called 911 and they were instructed to move Yardley to the floor and begin performing CPR. 
When police and paramedics arrived a few minutes later, they were expecting to be dealing with a possible overdose or alcohol poisoning situation. So they were really shocked to see a badly beaten young college student. Murders were very rare in Charlottesville, and they were literally unheard of on the UVA campus. They performed resuscitation efforts on Yardley for 25 minutes with no luck. Yardley was pronounced dead. The medical examiner later concluded that she died from blunt force trauma to the head. Her right eye was swollen shut, and there were bruises and scrapes on her chin and a large bruise on the right side of her face that was caused by the blunt force trauma. A funeral was held for Yardley at the Cathedral of Mary, our Queen, in Baltimore. More than 2,000 people attended the funeral. In the wake of Yardley's death, investigators interviewed Caitlin and Felipe and had them give statements. For the first time, police learned about the abusive relationship between Yardley and George and all of the previous instances of violence. As we said before, no one had ever reported any of the things that had gone on between them. When police heard about George and his quick temper, they immediately wanted to talk to him, so they went to his apartment to pick him up for an interview. They got there at around 7.30 a.m., just hours after Yardley was found. In a somewhat unusual twist for you know, it's unusual for crime cases anyway, George waived his Miranda rights and immediately started confessing what happened. You don't see that a lot where they just, you know, they're like, I don't even know, you know, need rights. I'm just going to tell you what's going on. But that's what George did. So George's version went like this. He said that he and Yardley were once in a relationship, but that it had recently come to an end. And he told the police that he tried to get Yardley to talk to him, including sending her an email two days before the murder, but she never responded. On the night of May 2nd, in his drunken state, George says that he decided to go to Yardley's apartment and talk to her in person. So he left for her apartment after his roommate left that night. So as we said, it was around 1140 to 1145 p.m. He said that when he got to Yardley's apartment, the door was unlocked, so he let himself right in. Yardley had no idea or heads up that he was coming over, and as we mentioned before, she was tired that night, and she headed to bed early, which is where she was when George came into her home uninvited. George stumbled his way to Yardley's bedroom only to find that her door was locked, which was something that, you know, she did. Of course, she's a college student. She has a roommate, you know, so she sleeps with her bedroom door locked. It's not really that unusual. So when George, you know, gets to her bedroom door, realizes that it's locked, he kicks the door in. And when the officers arrived at the scene that night, they did notice that there was a hole in the door. So, so far, the story that he was giving them was really, you know, adding up with what the scene, what, what, what they found at the scene. So according to George, when he kicked the door in, Yardley, quote, freaked out and became aggressive, and this physical confrontation ensued. George said that he grabbed Yardley and, quote, shook her a little bit, which caused her head to hit the wall repeatedly. The struggle continued on the floor, and at some point, George noticed that Yardley's nose was bleeding. So he stood up and picked Yardley up, and in in his words, he tossed her on the bed, and then he took her laptop as what he said was collateral so that she would be forced to have to call him and talk to him the next day so that she can get her computer back. He said that he threw the laptop in a dumpster before he went back to his apartment. George claimed that he had no idea that Yardley was critically injured when he left her apartment, and he seemed like he was actually shocked to find out that she was dead. After hearing George's story, police checked in the dumpster to see if Yardley's laptop was there, and they did find it there. Later that day after George's confession, police charged him with first-degree murder, and there were more charges that were added several months later. He was also charged with robbery, grand larceny, and burglary. 
Detectives interviewed several UVA students in connection with the case. A young woman named Anna, who lived in the apartment below Yardley, told police that she heard, quote, a very loud sound that was above her apartment at about 11.50 that night. She described the noise as sounding like when someone slams the trunk of a car shut. Then she said she heard someone walk down the stairs from the apartment, and when she looked outside, she saw a man leaving the building. Teammates of George told police about the events of the day leading up to Yardley's murder and how George had been on a drinking binge for hours that day. They also revealed what they knew about the tumultuous relationship that George and Yardley had for years and George's general aggressive behavior towards people. One example they gave investigators was that in the previous year, George once punched one of his teammates while he was asleep because he thought he had kissed Yardley. When the coach found out about the assault, he chose to take no disciplinary action against George. Police also went through George's apartment looking for evidence. They found the pants he was wearing during the attack, and inside one pocket, they found his car keys and his passport. They also found a white UVA lacrosse shirt with red stains on it, but none of Yardley's belongings were in George's apartment. And we're going to get into more details of this case after one last break to hear word from this week's sponsors. If you're looking to make healthy changes for yourself in the new year, look no further than Noom. Noom is a habit-changing solution that works with users like me to help develop a new relationship with food through Noom's personalized courses. I don't know about you, but my relationship with food and weight loss has been bananas throughout most of my life. Instead of making lasting changes, I would do something crazy like go on an all-smoothie diet or the Kelly Kapoor ringworm diet, something equally unsustainable and temporary. Sure, I may have lost a few pounds, but within a few weeks, I would gain it all back. But with Noom, I'm almost four months into changing the way I eat for life because Noom is based in psychology, so I'm actually learning how to eat with healthy goals in mind. I've dropped some weight, but my goal was really just to feel better, and I absolutely do. Plus, I'm learning why I do the things I do in terms of food, and Noom empowers me by giving me the tools I need to break bad habits and replace them with better ones. Noom isn't a diet. It's a healthy and easy-to-stick-to way of life. And Noom wants to empower you to make changes that last beyond a few weeks and become second nature. As moms, it's sometimes hard to do something for yourself, which is why Noom is so great. Noom only asks for 10 minutes a day for yourself. You don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at Noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash moms. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com slash moms to start your trial today. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash moms. Did you know that scientists have proven that the three most annoying words in the English language are what's for dinner? While I'm not so sure that's true, I am sure that it has to be in the running because I hear it all the time and boy am I annoyed. Wouldn't it be great to be able to answer that question with something your family actually wants to hear? Well, now you can, thanks to HelloFresh. HelloFresh is all about delicious and variety and they offer more than 20 chef-crafted delicious options every single week so you can break out of your recipe rut and try new things all while keeping the family happy, which in itself is a feat. Plus, HelloFresh makes meals easy by cutting out the stressful meal planning and the umpteen grocery store trips for that one ingredient you forgot to get so you can just enjoy cooking and getting dinner on the table all in about 30 minutes. This week, my family tried out the Venetian scallop spaghetti in a creamy burst tomato sauce with parsley and chives, and I dare anyone to have that and not love it. I would have never put scallops with spaghetti, but it elevated a favorite meal at my house and made it that much better. And if you've been on the fence about trying HelloFresh, maybe this will seal the deal. 
HelloFresh is not only delicious and easy to make with recipe cards and step-by-step directions, plus pre-portioned ingredients, but HelloFresh is committed to donating to those in need, and so far in 2020, they've donated three and a half million meals. The holidays are coming up. Go sign up now to get started. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 80MomsAndMurder and use code 80MomsAndMurder to get $80 off, including free shipping. Again, go to HelloFresh.com slash 80MomsAndMurder and use code 80MomsAndMurder to get $80 off, including free shipping. And now back to the episode. Before the break, we were talking about the investigation into Yardley's death and how, you know, the police were really building this case against George after learning that he had a history of some aggressive and violent behavior. George's trial finally got underway on February 6th of 2012 in Charlottesville, Virginia. The jury consisted of five women and seven men. Prosecutors explained that Yardley was killed as a result of blunt force trauma to the head, and they asserted that George was guilty of premeditated murder because he planned on killing her. They said that he was, quote, a controlling abuser who killed Yardley in a jealous rage. Of course, George's rich family hired private attorneys to represent him. The defense mostly presented a case for accidental death, and they said that George was, quote, a stupid, drunk boy athlete who was incapable of murder, end quote. I don't even know what that means, but that's what they went with. No. They, yeah, they agreed that, you know, George contributed to Yardley's death, but said that it was involuntary manslaughter. The defense called two medical experts to testify that Yardley's cause of death wasn't blunt force trauma, but instead was from suffocating in her pillow due to alcohol consumption and Adderall consumption, which she had a prescription for that. So it's kind of, it has to be so upsetting, I feel like, for um, the victim's family to have these, you know, to have their defense being like, oh, yeah, he just contributed, but he wasn't fully responsible. And it's like, how can you sit there and listen to them? say that, you know, and then try to like call these things and like say like, oh, she was, you know, drinking too and she had Adderall. And it's like very cut and dry and clear that she would be alive if he hadn't gone into her apartment and done this. So I just can't imagine how upsetting, you know, that would be for the family to have to sit through that and listen to that. So almost 60 witnesses in total testified in the trial. The jury was given instructions to consider a lot of different verdicts, really. They had the option of first-degree murder, second-degree murder, voluntary manslaughter, involuntary manslaughter, or, of course, not guilty on any of those. After nine hours of deliberation, the jury found George guilty of second-degree murder and grand larceny. He was found not guilty on the other charges. He was sentenced to 23 years for the second-degree murder charge and one year for the grand larceny. George's mother said, quote, we love George deeply and will stand by him forever. I don't have enough words to express my deep sorrow for the loss of Yardley's life, end quote. George did appeal his conviction on a technicality, but the judge did not rule in his favor. And in October of 2015, the U.S. Supreme Court refused to hear George's case. He is currently at State Farm Enterprise Unit in State Farm, Virginia. And as of now, his release date is set for May 30th, 2030. At the time of Yardley's murder, she was just a couple months away from graduating with the degree that she was so proud to obtain in her father's memory. The University of Virginia decided to posthumously award her the degree. Meg Hubeck of UVA's Center for Politics said, quote, Yardley was the epitome of what we want our students to be. That's the best way I can sum her up, end quote. 
The president of UVA at the time was extremely upset over what happened on campus, and he asked himself, back in 2008 when George was arrested and ordered to disclose it to the university, if he had actually done that, would this have even happened? And of course, there were many what-ifs and if-onlys that surrounded this case. Similarly, you have to wonder if George's teammates had reported his drinking problem and his bad behavior, or if they had stood up for Yardley, things may have had a different outcome. Yardley's tragic murder led to the creation of a new program offered at UVA called Let's Get Grounded, which was designed to teach students how to recognize and react to potential problems on campus, such as alcohol abuse, bullying, and violence. The Virginia Lacrosse Alumni Network also raised money in Yardley's honor for the Yardley Reynolds Love Endowed Scholarship, which is awarded annually to one women's lacrosse player. A few weeks after the murder, Yardley's mom and sister formed One Love Foundation in her memory. Yardley's lacrosse jersey was number one, and her last name was Love, so that's how they came up with the One Love Foundation, which is totally perfect. So the foundation aims to put an end to relationship violence through education and digital technology and even offers a free app called One Love Light. The app is designed to help young men and young women between the ages of 16 to 24 determine their risk and level of relationship danger, as well as provide helpful resources for those who need it. I think that is so smart because we're I love in it. Yeah. such a digital age too, which like if you, if you told an adult about this, okay, I just called myself not an adult apparently, but if you, <laughs> if you told somebody older about this, they'd be like, what to determine your risk? But it is such a thing. Like we take BuzzFeed quizzes. We do all these things. It's such a smart way for, you know, to answer a few quick questions to kind of just see like, where do I fall? Where does my relationship fall? Because kids are young. They're, you know, right. They're early twenties, all this stuff. I don't know. You think of relationship abuse I'm using this very generally. You think of it as like someone in their 40s, someone in their 30s, something like this, not in high school and college. And it's so much more rampant than we've ever thought it was. You know, you read the statistics in the beginning. And for them to have this where somebody who might not even realize they're in this kind of relationship can have that kind of knowledge, it just gives me chills. I think that's just incredible they put this together. Yeah. Well, and I love the idea of an app because as you said, we are in such like a technology-based, you know, world right now. But also with that age group being the target, I think Mm -hmm. it's really great because, you know, the the young people sometimes do feel like they don't want to reach out to an adult or an older person, like to ask them for help or advice. But this is an easy, like anonymous way that you can kind of gauge, you know, what's going on without having to really bring a lot of other people into it. And, you know, at first. And so I love it. I think, and I really hope that people are using it if they need that you know, yeah, resource. Absolutely. No, I, yeah, I think that's absolutely so smart. That's the smartest way I think to, to target it really, because it is like you were just saying, it's something maybe somebody doesn't want to, doesn't feel comfortable talking to somebody else about, or they kind of see red flags, but they're not, they're not sure. And as something as simple as an app that can kind of say, maybe this isn't a good idea, or, you know, whatever. There's, you know, maybe they that gives them the courage to take the next step or to talk to somebody. But even in, I love that the school is trying to do things. And I love whenever, you know, this is obviously a terrible, this is a tragedy. But I love whenever thing good things can come from terrible things. Like whenever I hate that this is, you know, this happened ever, of course. But it's so good that they're trying to, to, put things in place where it doesn't happen again. And so much credit to her family for putting this together. 
So while domestic violence is a problem that affects people of all ages, as we were saying, the One Love Foundation focuses on teens and younger adults because they can be a, quote, vulnerable and naive group, end quote. And of course, that's not an insult. That's just young love and just learning. Right. Um, If you'd like to learn more about the foundation or access the resources there, you can find it at joinonelove.org. And I'll make sure that on social media, we post all of this stuff because this is so, so important. Yes, definitely. In 2012, Yardley's mom filed a wrongful death suit against George to the tune of $30,450,000 in damages. The lawsuit was dropped in July of 2018 because a Maryland court ruled that an insurance company did not have to pay $6 million to George. I'm not really clear on what the deal was with that. I assume that it was something to do with his family's money that he was going to be owed, but I'm guessing that since he was convicted of a murder, he was not going to be able to have right. that money. That's I, I think it probably has something to do with that. I don't know fully the details of what was going on there. It's possible that the Love family dropped the lawsuit so that they could actually explore their options because they didn't think that they would be able to win it. But in November of 2018, the lawsuit was refiled for the same amount, but it doesn't look like the case has been resolved yet. In 2012, Yardley's mom also sued the coaches of the men's lacrosse team for $29,450,000 in damages because they turned the other cheek when it came to George's assaults, but that suit was also dropped in 2013. Apparently, UVA lacrosse team members are known for getting special treatment and they're looked at as heroes even when bad behavior leads to serious consequences. The year that Yardley was killed, eight out of the 41 players on the lacrosse team were charged with alcohol-related offenses during their time at the university. And I guess that's not really surprising because it is college, and you know, college kids do drink. But I guess when you're, you know, supposed to be a member of, you know, a sports team and you're kind of supposed to be a role model for other students, I guess it is. You're kind of like, "Mm, eight of your players getting, you know, busted for doing certain things that are bad. Like, I guess that doesn't sound very good. Um, But in the same time, I'm like, well, I feel like that happens a lot college where you know they get citations or you know they get kind of some kind of run-in with the police yeah. it's not always not always to the level of like where George took it you know where he was like violent and like assaulting that officer it's not yeah. like not always like that you know same thing well it seems like the bigger issue is in, I mean there this is a conversation that people have been having for a while now but how p- kids in sports I say kids but like the college students and stuff like that how it is totally treated differently and I think they're looking and you know I don't know, but the school's making so much freaking money. But basically, where these uh, college athletes are being treated like gods because they're making so much money for the school and stuff. And so people are told to turn the other cheek and people are told not to, you know, look at things where another student might get in more trouble. So, but there is like a code of ethics that you should be following and it should work for everybody. But when money becomes a thing, then people look the other way. So I hope in all these schools, you know, I wish I wish the world was more fair. It's not, but I hope that they do look at these kind of situations and, you know, I don't know. You just want you just want change to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Uh so it's thought that nobody reported any of George's behavior or tried to intervene because of how close the men's and women's lacrosse teams were to each other. You know, they all hung out together, they dated each other, they ate food together, you know, they traveled together, they did all these things together. I'm not very familiar with lacrosse culture, but it has been compared to um, sorority and fraternity culture. So basically they're just like brothers and sisters. You know, they have this big sense of right. family, you know, between them. 
So Sports Illustrated actually suggested that since the teammates were also close, they may have, quote, been reluctant to intervene in George and Yardley's relationship, fearful it could fray the bond between the teams, end quote. This story is just really sad and tragic and so, you know, like we said, preventable. And that's what makes it so sad, I feel like, because there were opportunities for somebody to intervene or for somebody to kind of not even necessarily like try to be pushy or, you know, nosy about it, but like there were opportunities I felt like for people to report certain things that didn't get reported. And maybe if they had, like we said, like, would it have led to a different outcome? Um, and even if, you know, even down to if George's friends or people who noticed that he was drinking so much had, you know, encouraged him to kind of, you know, reach out and get help for that, you know, would this have happened? And it's like, there's just so much going on that it's like, there's so many things that could have gone different. And it is a case full of what ifs. And those ones just really get to me because I hate the ones where it's like, this just did not have to happen. You know, Yardley did not have to lose her life. Yeah, for sure. And I just, yeah, I just feel for her family so much. And I don't know. And all the people you're, I don't know, these are all college students you're talking about. So like decisions you make now, you might not have made 20 years from now. I'm not talking about George or Yardley. I'm talking about the other people. So as 20 years from now, you might say, oh, if I saw that, I would, obviously I wouldn't do that. You know what I mean? Like these things where it's like this culture of lacrosse and everything and and it's so important and we want to keep our friends together and not tell on each other and blah, blah, blah. And then 20 years from now, you're like, eh, no, I, you just say something like this is a bad situation. And you know that like through maturity and growing up. Right. But again, why this organization that they're working with or that they've created is so smart and should be taught on campuses. And I've read recently where they're trying to talk more relationship, um, coercive control, that sort of thing in high schools and stuff and how important it is because girls especially like you look at the statistics don't even realize they're in these relationships until it's it's gotten bad and they don't know what to do and so I don't know I this I have a lot of feelings about this episode and I think what what her family's doing in her honor is really incredible so I'm glad we shared the story it's a hard one but I am glad um, we discussed it and we will have links in our show notes if you want to check that out that would be great um, and if you are listening and you are looking for resources for domestic right. violence um, help, we do have a couple phone numbers for you. Um, the National Domestic Violence Hotline is 1-800-799-SAFE. So that is 7233 on the end. And they do have a website. It is ndvh.org. And then there is also the National Dating Abuse Helpline, which is 1-866-331-9474. And their website is loveisrespect.org. So if you are out there listening and if you are of any age and you um, are thinking that you would like to check out those resources, we will also put those in the show notes. Yes. Um, and we encourage anybody who needs help to please reach out and get it. All right, Melissa. So we're going to move on, turn the page and go on to our last thing before we go. Our last, last, last thing before we go for 2020. And I think we have another really fun and exciting one to do. I know last week we talked about some really awful, I mean, awful um, gifts that you can give people for Christmas. And then we asked the listeners to share some of the, I guess, what did we get? Just terrible gifts that people have been given. <laughs> it's gifts that they've been given, <laughs> gifts that they've given other people. There's some passive aggressive ideas in here. So we really, we've covered it all this week. I think this will be a lot of fun. 
And the amount of people that said they have sent a potato or been sent a potato was amazing. One, I love it. Yeah. One girl even um, mashed her potato up and ate it, which was – so it is Oh, yeah. yeah. Remember I said I was wondering if it was edible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that a lot of people, a lot of weirdos out there like me said that they have actually bought the pimple popping game. Love it. Um, Yes, and love it. So um, yeah, I thought that was funny. I really enjoyed the feedback we got last week on the items that we talked about. And yeah, I'm excited to hear if anybody buys any of them and gives them to family members. Yes. Definitely if you buy the be- uh, brief jerky, I want to know about it. So oh my gosh, <laughs> we'll give you a whole segment on the show. Just come on and talk about yeah. it. We need to know everything. I have a lot of questions for you about your life and how you do things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sure. All right. So, Melissa, what do our lovely listeners, what kind so, of terrible gifts are yeah, they <laughs> I'm saving the best for last. And I have not sent Mandy the photo from the last one. And I'll have to ask her permission if we can post it because it made my whole life. Um, it's horrifying and wonderful. So we'll just start at the top. So these are just emails, Facebook messages, whatever that we got from people um, on uh, gift ideas. So this might be a little long, but this is our last one for the year. So just buckle up, buttercup. Here we go. Yeah. First one. <laughs> Our family had a bunch of mail mail carriers. They always got the mail carrier gifts because they knew how much the holidays sucked. One year, my mom asked what our cousin got their mailman, and she replied a ton of popcorn because they really didn't like him this year. (laughs) She said this as we were sitting in front of our tin of popcorn gift and a popcorn maker that she got. (laughs) She didn't like us, and we don't like her, but we had to go. Apparently, (laughs) she gets popcorn for people she feels obligated to buy for but doesn't like, and that's from... Oh, no. <laughs> I love that. Like just to hear like I hate him and I bought him popcorn and you're just sitting there with a whole bucket. But right. what if it's the cheese and the caramel one? You can't right? tell me I you hate like me you... and give me that. Exactly. I know. You I feel me. like you must love me. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, so great. Goodness. Some people sent us things including giving other people SEX dolls, and I skipped those for obvious reasons, but good for you for thinking we were going to read them. Um, But there was a few that were actually pretty funny. But yeah, this this isn't one of those, but this I had to cut out something else that that we couldn't add. So go ahead. Okay. So this person says, I mentioned in a previous email that my husband is one of nine kids. One of his younger sisters married this guy who is very uptight. He has all these weird rules and is very particular. They have four darling kids, but it's hard to have a visit with them because while we love him and he's a great husband and father, he kind of drives us all nuts. Love it. So a few years ago, one of my other sisters-in-law gets the funny idea to send their kids one of those giant inflatable yard things. She sends it from her mom, the grandma, to the son of the brother-in-law that drives us nuts. When the son opens it, he freaks out with delight and joy, and the brother-in-law claims that they don't have the right extension cord, so it cannot go on display. So sorry. The sister-in-law that sent the inflatable responds by overnighting him the proper extension cord. (laughs) Christmas is saved. So now every year they send another one. Honestly, this guy gives us all such a hard time. And this passive aggressive act is the gift that gives to the entire family every holiday season. Isn't this what Christmas is all about? Giving gifts and spreading joy. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Um, I love it because it's silly and it's like harmless and it's like, but it's. Oh, I don't think it's harmless to him. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I love those things though that just become like a a thing, like a tradition thing, even though, you know, whether it's annoying or not. Like, I just love that, you know, whenever you develop something that it turns into being like a funny thing because you're like, okay, like how, 
how many more years of this, you know, can I, can we take? <laughs> My mom's family, they had this uh, blinking angel and this story just reminds me of it. And it just like, it looked possessed by the devil, but it would blink and it was like to put on top of a Christmas uh, Christmas tree. And I think it was like my uncle's, one of his ex-wives and that gave it. And so then every year it would pop up and somebody would be given it. And so um, it was just like one of those fun things that you always saw, but nobody really wanted to land on that. It was like, oh, great. Thanks so much. But I love a passive aggressive, aggressive Christmas present. And the idea of being like, oh, you don't have a cord. Don't worry. I'll overnight it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this is great. I put a picture on here for you, Mandy. Um, so the next one is from Caitlin. And the last one was from Sabre. I don't remember if we ended up saying it or not. But um, so this one's from Caitlin. And she said, so my mom is one of six siblings. And they all have children, family of th- families of their own. And so when we get together, there's obviously a lot of us. We always do a white elephant exchange. For I don't know how many years now, Milky the cow has been showing up and rotating homes. And yes, he still works. <laughs> And she attached a link to the one on eBay, which, by the way, I think sold for $375. Milky. Oh, my gosh. I know. Milky the Marvelous Milking Cow. And it says, she really drinks water, moos, then gives pretend milk. And there's this tiny little boy (laughs) milking a cow. Another kid (laughs) could not be more thrilled to be in this picture. It's very upsetting. It's like tiny udders (laughs) that one boy's really into. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's no. a very three hundred seventy five dollars. It's weird. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pay three hundred seventy five dollars for it, but like, it's totally something that I would buy. I know, Caitlin, you and your family <laughs> need to get that thing on eBay. You can make some money, girl. Right? If you still have it, it still works. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So the next one is from Debbie. She said. My mom has been known to buy me multiple identical outfits. I'm an average size, confident woman who has been told I could lose a little weight by my mother from as early as I can remember. She really likes to drive this point home at her favorite holiday, Christmas, by buying me two identical workout outfits. One that's way too big for me, rude, and one that is way too small for me. She then leans over and not so quietly whispers to me, this one is for you now and the other one is for when you lose some weight. <laughs> Merry Christmas to me. Is there another bottle of wine? Oh my gosh, I feel like... <laughs> I feel like this is all of us. My grandma, the sweet one, the sweetest one that we always talk about and say just what a sweet lady she is. And she's always super well-meaning, but she does things like this. And I'm like, oh, grandma, like, thank you you for thinking of me now and in the future. But like, yeah, (laughs) I know my husband's grandma did something similar one time. Well, whenever I announced that I was pregnant years ago, she goes, oh, yeah, I was wondering, you looked like you had gained a lot of weight. And I was like, well, thank you so much. I am... I'm very happy. I have a story behind this now. Thank you so much. Yeah, there's some people are just like that. I just love uh, Debbie's sense of humor about this because that has to just be one of those things where you're like, lady, not today, not on Jesus's birthday. Please stop this. Okay, so the next one comes from Jenny from Patreon. And I love this too. She said, my grandpa's girlfriend once gave me a clothing tag for a gift, like the tag on a shirt with the brand and size. Because the name of the brand was Jenny, like my name, and she worked at a thrift shop. So she literally cut the tag off the clothing item, wrapped it for me as a gift. And she also gave my uh, gave some of my cousins boxes of homemade cutout cookies that were shaped like hands, but all the fingers were broken off the hands except for the middle fingers. We never knew if that was intentional or not. <laughs> you never know. I just love that. It looks like something from a crime scene. Just to get a tag, be like, hi, Jenny. <laughs> You're next. <laughs> oh, my gosh. 
And Mandy, this oh, is... these are great. Yeah, this next one, I will send you a photo. This is from Amber. Yeah, it just says, a gift from my father when I was almost 16. My family refers to it as the Amber doll, and we treat it like it will come alive and murder everyone. I haven't seen it yet. Melissa is about to send me a picture of it, um, and I will see what I think about the Amber doll. <laughs> yes. Okay, ready? Here comes the Amber doll in all of its glory. <laughs> um, whoa. What? What is happening? What is it? Why is it? Wait, it actually looks like that? It is an amber doll. It is Amber's face at, you know, in at 16, whenever you, the last thing you want is your family members Why? to put your face on oh a doll. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Is it like actually just, oh, I have so many questions. I have so many questions. Amber, we have lots of follow-up questions. Um, Is that a pillow? Is that actually I your face? Are you actually a human doll? Is that you? I need more angles of this. Yes. Is it is the head like a sphere? Is it like actually a head? I don't understand like what is happening. Oh here. gosh. I just love that her dad like that was like a genuine gift to get her an amber doll and that they always act like it's going to come alive and murder everyone. <laughs> to be fair, I feel like it might. <laughs> amber, you're a beautiful girl and you make a yes. great doll, but it's something to do with the Victorian era clothing that it's wearing that's really extra creepy, isn't it? And the fact that there's, it's not a baby's face. It is not a baby's face at all. It is a 16-year-old girl's face. It's On a baby like doll's a, body. Yeah. Yes. It's a yearbook photo that poor Amber. And who would who would ask for a gift of their own face on a... I, this is such a dad thing to do. I love this so much, Amber. I, I love do it. I too. I love it. Okay. That's so great. I have to see if oh she'll give gosh. us permission to share it because... Man, Amber, you've just made my entire year with this thing. <laughs> so great. I love it so much. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, this has been so fun. This episode, this year, this everything. Wow. I want whatever <laughs> you're having. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, yeah, as we said, we are going to be off for the next two weeks. Um, we will not be back until the new year. I don't know what exactly. January 5th. January the 5th. Yes. And I thought we had something else to say. Yes, we do. I always think. Oh, I, oh, we yes. do. Okay. I got you. I got you here. So also we are between the time off, we are looking at doing um, a live YouTube thing on Patreon and we think it's going to be December 19th, but we will lock that down for sure in the next couple of days. So if you're not on Patreon and you'd like to join us for that, it's um, patreon.com slash moms and murder podcast. You can also get ad free episodes there. Um, plus we're not here for two weeks. So there's three years worth of bonus material that's there everything from recapping jailbirds we recapped big brother celebrity edition i wish that came back um oh my gosh yes. we have run the gambit with what we've done on Patreon, i know I it's like. everything <laughs> it's it's stories it's it's all kinds of things so you'll see um lots of things plus our favorite the um conspiracy theories ones what's probably my favorite one that we did and um, so that's all over on patreon.com slash moms and murder podcast if you want to sign up over there and you'll if you're already on patreon you'll be getting an email this week kind of giving you an idea of what time we're going to do and we're just ironing out the um, the program there and we'll ask you know you can come on and ask questions and all that kind of stuff on YouTube and we will try and monitor that and answer as many questions as we can and just overall have a really good time and just enjoy uh, the break and so if you're interested in that the details will also be in the show notes. I'm not going to make meat pie on video this year, but I did last year. Oh, gosh. 
I forgot about that. And I came on and harassed you for like 35 seconds and then I left. I was like, I cannot watch any more pepper. I just can't do it. I can open a can of cranberry sauce if anybody's into that sort of thing. But that's about it. (laughs) No, it'll be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I think it'll be it'll be great. But yeah, so if you feel like you're going to miss us, then maybe that was something you want to check out. Talk to somebody first. If you don't feel like you're going to miss us, then yeah. Then I guess congratulations. You you are not going to be forced to hear us for a little while. So all right, guys, have a great Christmas. Have a great holiday, whatever it is that you celebrate. Great New Year. And we will see you guys in 2021. Wow. Have a great year. <laughs> all right. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.